to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that have hit the market, and cap off with a bit of a discussion on regulatory updates. This 20-minute roundup is the curated shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and we hope that it just sparks some ideas for future deals and transactions. Welcome to our podcast for January 2021. My name's Nick, and I'll also be joined by Cheryl. We lead the commercial efforts for sustainable finance solutions at Sustainalytics for APAC, and we're glad that you could listen in to this episode. So, as usual, let's get started and go straight into the headlines. So, Cheryl, anything that caught your eye so far this year, Jen? Yes, Nick, a report that I look forward to all year is the Environmental Finance Sustainable Bond Insights, and the 2021 version is out on their website. And not because, you know, the report discussed uh, issuance volumes and have a ton of great graphs about the activity in the past year. They also have market share data on the second party opinion providers, which of course we eye closely to see how, we're, how we are stacked. So the report is free to download. So head over to Environmental's website and get your copy. But in a nutshell, 2020 was another record breaking year for green social sustainability and sustainability linked bond market. Uh, the total GSSS bond issuance reached 602 billion issued from 1,000 340 bonds, nearly double that of 2019's 326 billion. And if you include loans, that would be 732 billion in the sustainable finance uh, debt issuance issued. The number of supersized issuances also exploded with more than 50 bonds raised uh, up to uh, USD 2 billion or more in 2020. And, and compared to 2019, this was just 15 bonds. Also notable to mention is the growing diversification of the sustainable bond issuances um, in terms of the type of industries and the type of issuers that are coming to market. Social bonds also was a big star performer with their issuance jumping nine times to 165 billion. Sustainability bonds also tripled to 140 billion. We also saw eight SLBs that were aligned to the ICMA's SLBPs issued at the end of 2020, raising 8.78 billion with the likes of Suzano, Novartis, Chanel, and a Japanese real estate named Hulick. Environmental finance, they suggest about USD 30 billion of SLBs to be issued in 2021. So SLBs will continue to be a really strong and hot uh, kind of instrument that we'll see in the market. Um, there was also one ICMA handbook aligned transition bond by the Bank of China and more growth is expected in 2021 with, you know, the end, with the poll suggesting about 700 to 800 billion. Um, but also one thing to quickly mention, in 2020, Sustainalytics came out with a 36.5% market share in terms of the number of external uh, reviews, uh, the breakdown of the market share for external reviewers. And this is followed by ISS at 12.3%, as well as Cicero at 10.3%. Uh, uh, what about you, Nick? What else have you seen? Yeah, sure. They're great, uh, great developments and good to, good to see our market share going from strength to strength. Um, I really liked a, a blog post, I believe it was called, from CBI. So a shout out to our friends at um, the Climate Bond Initiative who continue to come out with um, really excellent, uh, excellent research and be a really good um, source of information and a great reference point for the market. Um, so they released a blog post to talk about themes for 2021, such as you know, China, EU and US now, you know, really having climate be back more on the agenda and particularly with the political change uh, that's, uh, that's recently happened in the US. So that's great to see. Transition, transition, transition. 
what we'll see on that, I think last year was a little bit derailed. Hopefully, more labelled transition instruments going to market, coexisting with uh, with SLBs, rise of the sovereign bond uh, club. What else uh, have they mentioned? You know, thematics around Sukuk, Islamic finance, the overall green bond market now well over a trillion. So seeing a lot more acceleration into this year, and then also just some reference. Um, and discussion about the EU sustainable action plan, green taxonomy, uh, EU taxonomy. So lots of really good uh, good themes. And it's a good segue too, Cheryl, to, to our listeners. If they have missed it, um, or just in case you missed it, myself and Cheryl, we um, put out a what to look out for for 2021, which also coincided with a bit of a summary on Sustainalytics 10 for 2021, um, an ESG-focused report, which actually had a lot of um, parallels for sustainable finance. So looking at uh, agricultural value chains and, and circularity. So um, check uh, check those out, but a pretty good blog post there from uh, from CBI. And I think Larry uh, Fink's been busy writing more letters this year. Cheryl, did you manage to have a look at that one? That's right. So another thing we look forward to annually is BlackRock CEO Larry Fink's annual letter to CEOs. In January last year, Larry wrote that climate risk is investment risk. And he said that as markets start to price climate risk into the value of securities, it would spark a fundamental reallocation of capital. And then the pandemic took hold. And the conventional wisdom was that the crisis would divert attention away from climate. But the opposite actually took place, uh, with the reallocation of capital accelerating even faster than anticipated. So just to give you an idea, from January through to November 2020, investors in mutual funds and ETFs invested $288 billion globally into sustainable assets. And that is a 96% increase over the whole of 2019. Larry also noted that 2020 was a landmark year in policy response, uh, with the EU, China, Japan, South Korea, all making historic commitments to achieve net zero uh, emissions. With the US as well uh, joining uh, the Paris Agreement, uh, 127 governments now are have committed, and these 127 governments are responsible for more than 60% of global emissions. He concluded with a call for a single global reporting standard, uh, such as the TCFD and SASB, with companies asking companies to disclose a plan on how their business model will be compatible with a net zero economy so that investors like BlackRock can make more informed decisions about how to achieve durable long-term returns. Um, anything similar you notice in the pension side of things, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So one one article that, that really caught my eye was from um, Pensions Age, and it had an article about Cushion launches the world's first net zero now pensions. I believe all those um, investments will be in net zero um, or pretty much close to it, investments and the focus on now being immediacy. Um, so I really like that one. Maybe we'll see some more low uh, low carbon or extra low carbon funds uh, going uh, going forward. Something else which jumped out to me that we'd commented on a couple of times in the the latter parts of uh, of 2020, which was some investors starting to um, uh, I'd say show more activism be more challenging to some of the banks, such as um, State Bank of India, I believe, um, who have got a pretty significant um, loan to the Carmichael coal mine in Australia with the Dami, and that continues to be, let's just say, have some different points of view um, about that. So um, it's really something that shows another level of market evolution, I'd say. So some investors really challenging some banks saying, hey, we've got your, uh, your green bond that you've done. Why have you got some of these um, types of controversial assets in your book or looking to expand that? It's not really congruent with you why you may have done green. So really interesting to, um, to see some of, those, uh, some, some of those developments. 
And what about yourself, Cheryl? Anything else that's that's caught your eye over the month? Yes, uh, maybe a quick note about, you know, something similar is about Portfolio Earth, an NGO of a network of researchers. They published a, a report called Bankrolling Extinction. So stating that quite a lot of these lenders with sizable commitments about uh, uh, committed to sustainable finance have actually bankrolled a fair amount of uh, loans and provided financing that impact the web of animal and plant life that supports human well-being. So a lot of more, you know, call and a lot more scrutiny as well, which I think we think is, is healthy uh, in this market. Uh, anything else you note on the transition side of things, Nick? Um, yeah, so there was, there was an interesting article in the uh, Environmental Finance which talks about you know, green bonds, can they be issued by some companies who haven't yet transitioned, but they're going through a period of time where they've got some other higher carbon activities. Um, and whilst that's important to consider, it fundamentally comes down to whether something's credible uh, and impactful in our view, and then having a separate bucket of capital for more very heavily uh, focused transition activities. So I think we're going to see more articles, reports come out, which maybe sort of confuse a little bit of the two. We still think green can be issued by companies who haven't you know, fully transitioned and they have got some higher carbon um, activities as part of their business. Those that are reliant on very, very heavy, like things like steel, um, shipping and others are, you know, are not green in our view. Um, and that really belongs in a transition bucket. So I think we'll see some more analysis on, on these sort of areas. Who can do green? How far you can push that? And then a number will start to really go for this transition bucket, which I think is more congruent with um, uh, what those companies are looking, uh, looking to do. As a separate one, the Environmental Finance also published um, something over the over the month, supported by GBTAP, um, Cheryl, that looked at green bond funds and the impact reporting practices. So, as we know, in working with a lot of banks and issuers, often reporting is it, well, it's super important. Um, but the best way to approach that, how best to put numbers together, make sure it's not too um, it's too difficult to do, make sure it's it, it's simple and it works and, and it's clear. Um, you know, can be uh, can be challenges. So there was a really good report. I'd encourage um, any of our listeners to dig into environmental finance and see if you can get that report. But just a couple of highlights. Um, more than two thirds of investors regard impact reports as crucial. That's probably no great surprise. Um, Sixty percent of investors say current reporting practices are inadequate. Again, no great surprise. Something that will grow in sophistication as the whole market looks to quantify more and more impact specifically. More than 80% of green bond funds monitor ESG ratings of issuers. So again, looking at the whole picture, then looking at the deal, um, no great surprises there. Two-thirds of funds report in line with the harmonised framework for impact reporting. So check check out that note, or I should say report or reference guide on ICMA, which has lots of great definitions of how you can approach reporting. So a really good resource for, uh, for corporates and, uh, and for banks. 90% um, of funds talk about um, alignment with SDGs. No great surprise there and probably the most interesting one for me, 70% of funds expect to include additional impact metrics in the future. So I think that's something that's really going to be more and more sophisticated uh, going forward as we see sustainability linked bonds, as we see transition. I think that'll gradually up the ante on some of the more traditional use of proceeds to be demonstrating and reporting in a more and more robust way, which is, uh, which is great. And I think the Sovereign Club, uh, CBI, has been talking about a little bit more, Cheryl, and released a, a pretty uh, pretty useful report on that. 
That's right. So shifting modes from investors to sovereigns, CBI did put out a paper together with HSBC. Um, in summary, sovereigns serve a very important role to catalyze local markets. And Nick himself has always been talking about this for a while when often the local ministries ask us what to do to stimulate the GSSS market uh, in their domestic market. Uh, do you use it grants? Very often, you know, it's the sovereign issuance that catalyzes the market and sends out a strong signal. Um, and there was also talk about cross-border and regional collaborations through knowledge sharing forums in this report. They also talk about, you know, sovereign issuances being able to attract a diversified investor base. Um, and also I'd like to flag that actually Sustainalytics, we recently launched something called the country risk ratings, where we have an ESG risk rating on countries. So it might be a good uh, kind of report that you can get, a rating report that you can get to support, you know, your upcoming sovereign issuance. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe moving on to other kind of reports. Anything interesting you caught your eye? Yeah, the, uh, the science-based targets or the SBTI, Science-Based Targets Initiative, continue to come out with really good sector guidance for some sectors. Um, a five-year progress report was put out um, back end of last year. Um, and there's a consultation paper which is out. I'm not sure when that consultation period ends, um, just around the definition of net zero, some guidelines about that in terms of mitigation hierarchy, mitigate your own emissions, um, then seek to you know to offset and, and neutralize and there's a really good model to how they frame it because we're starting to see lots of different um, statements come to market about you know net zero what does that actually mean what should it mean and what's the most robust definition to that rather than continuing to pollute and just just offset that offsets have a role but there's plenty of things that need to be done in line with the mitigation hierarchy before that to happen so I'd encourage our listeners to uh, to check that out. So a pretty, uh, pretty busy month in terms of news to kick us off with um, in the year thus far. Thanks, Nick. Yes, so maybe let's just quickly shift modes to what are some of the green transactions we have seen. So maybe, Nick, would you like to, to start us off with some of the interesting, noteworthy green bonds? Sure, sure. I'll, um, I'll have a bit of a, um, a go at trying to summarise and just a message to our listeners. Um, because there's so many bonds now coming to market, um, we've tried to sort of list them all and give a really quick flavour to those, or we say that run through the smallest boards of transactions for the month. The, the line or the amount of things on that smallest board are just too too long to cover now or else that podcast will be a few hours uh, long. So we're going to um, probably from the next episode start to condense and just focus on on a few key ones. So today will be just um, a kind of a hybrid version and then from next month uh, we'll be talking probably just on three or four, a little bit more in depth and then maybe the show notes will show um, and demonstrate some links about what's happened over the uh, over the month. But it's a really good thing. When we started doing the podcast, it was pretty easy to summarise almost everything that's happening. Now it's almost impossible and our show notes are getting, uh, are getting so long. So anyway, to jump into, um, I guess what we saw was a smattering of issuance as usual. Uh, we saw some sovereigns. Uh, Cheryl's just explained why they're important. Property continues to be a mainstay. Banks continue to be a mainstay. Um, steel and our view is more transition. There was a couple of trans transactions for that. Um, some funds um, raising some bonds and also semiconductors plus um, some telcos continue to come to market. So that's pretty good diversity um, and something that we're always, you know, feel really strongly about a diversity of instrument, diversity of sector and diversity of the types of things getting financed. If all of those three areas can continue to diversify, now we've really got a market that's going to take off more and more, which is great. So in terms of, just to drill down a little bit on that, um, for sovereigns, we saw you know, Colombia, uh, we saw Hong Kong tap the market again, we saw Spain and, and Chile, and they're really good frameworks to have a look at because they're quite broad. 
And that leads me into a, a comment on banking. Um, banking frameworks are also really good for the folks who are, want to get a broad idea of what you can finance in these markets. The, the bank frameworks tend to be much more expansive, tend to cover social and green, and tend to cover the most uh, areas. So if you want a bit of a peek as to the different things that are possible in these markets for our listeners, uh, always check those out. Do the banks uh, continuing to push the boundaries of, of what can be added, particularly around some of the newer areas uh, for social for, for sure. On the property side, a whole lot of um, Chinese issuance still coming to market. And we've worked on a lot of those new world development, the updated um, second party opinion, and we know they've recently done an SLV, Central China, Cynic, Gendro Properties, Ujo. So we've been heavily involved in that. So check, check those out. And just remember for our listeners, it's not only green properties um, or green buildings. There's other projects which these style of companies have whether it be social as well in relation to parks and different types of uh, community type areas, also affordable housing, and then on the green side, waste, water, uh, renewables, and other types of energy efficiency projects, not just green buildings, but that's obviously an important part of it. Um, I think I mentioned banks before, and then uh, steel, again, probably more um, transition for us, uh, Hyundai Steel, SK Innovation, uh, I believe, you know, connected to, to oil and gas or even, even steel. Um, and then just to mention, we saw some rail infrastructure go to, to market, um, the rolling, uh, rolling stock and infrastructure, which is good to, uh, which is good to see and a big part of the market. Uh, semiconductor, SK, uh, Hynix going to market. So again, on top of a couple of deals done last year, newer type of, of sector uh, coming to market and also telco. So I think we're going to see much more technology. We spoke about Alibaba coming to, to market, I think, in our December podcast. So you know, pretty interesting developments there. So what about green loans? Cheryl, was there much um, action over the month? Yes, as usual, lots of real estate loans coming out from Singapore. So this has been a very strong trend observed for a good number of months now. For our listeners in Singapore, just a quick plug that Sustainlytics is now an eligible provider under the MAS grants. So qualifying issuances, loans, uh, post-issuance, pre-issuance expenses would be fully claimable under the grant. So reach us, reach out to us if you'd like to find out more. Um, but in terms of the real estate loans, you have, you know, CDL getting a revolver, boosted projects, um, Capital Land getting two loans from DBS to develop tech parks in India. So Boostate Projects secured its first green loan uh, for about 130 million US dollars from UOB under the UOB's Real Estate Sustainable Finance Framework, which we co-developed uh, with UOB uh, under their Sustainable Finance Framework. Um, this green loan is used to refinance Alice at Mediapolis, which is a smart, eco-sustainable business park development. Uh, the building was awarded Green Mark Platinum by the BCA, and it was the first for Boostate projects. Moving on, renewables continue to be a mainstay in the market. So closer to home, uh, Thailand's Constant Energy secures the first solar green loan the country has seen. Thai bought $1.5 billion, or rather USD $50 million with TMB Bank. In Spain, Cubico refinances a 100-megawatt solar project. And also closer uh, to home in Indonesia, you see that uh, hydro and geo thermal projects. Uh, I had no idea uh, Indonesia had geothermal projects, Nick, but uh, PT Perusahaan District Nagara PLN has secured green loan to, re to finance 500 million from an international consortium of banks to support the development of hydro and geothermal projects in Indonesia. This loan is a noteworthy one because it's the first green loan transaction to obtain by a BUMN in Indonesia, and it's the first for PLN. Um, they will be used for long-term financing of renewable energy 
energy uh, and environmentally friendly electricity infrastructure. So very welcoming site for a codependent country like Indonesia. Um, and over maybe one last thing to note, over in Paris, we have one green loan to a rail barge and container leasing firm called 2X. Again, the message is clear, lots of diversification in terms of the types of issuers issuing green. And then on the um, SLB Cheryl, I guess not such a new section anymore in our uh, in our podcast, but um, January still saw um, a bit of issuance. And as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think we're going to see a lot growing this area over 2021. That's right. Uh, January was a big month for SLBs, so lots of interesting ones from a variety of industries, and it's hard to really just pick one to comment on. But just to give you a flavor, Clabin, a pulp paper name, follows Susano's September issuance. We provided the SPO on this. There were three KPIs around water consumption, intensity, waste reuse, as well as one quite interesting one, which is the reintroduction of native animal species. Um, there were also two shipping SLBs, C-SPAN, which is uh, a Hong Kong, the largest uh, container lessor in the world. This is something that we provided an SPO on as well as Opgel. So Opgel's KPI and SPT is quite industry standard, you know, referencing the AER uh, as well as, you know, reducing the carbon intensity by 50% by 2030, which is, you know, the IMO regulatory kind of uh, standard. But C-SPAN's KPI is slightly more interesting, probably a bit more of an indirect KPI, which is around, you know, what is the aggregate financial value of binding commitments that they will have around, you know, buying new vessels or new builds or vessel retrofits that will be powered by alternative fuel sources. British supermarket retailer Tesco also did an SLB, which we provide an opinion on. The KPI is around the group scope one and two emissions. And maybe lastly, to round off, Hong Kong real estate name New World Development. Uh, they have a very ambitious SPT around increasing their share of renewable energy consumed by its Greater Bay Area rental properties going from less than 1% currently to 100% by you know full year 2025-26. So um, lots of SLBs uh, continue to come to market. But I think maybe... Maybe, Nick, now might be a good time to answer some of the listeners' questions because they seem to be around SLBs. Yeah, um, so. uh, absolutely. So um, just a reminder for our listeners, please send in your questions at podcast at sustainalytics.com. We did get a couple of questions over the month. Maybe people were on holidays and enjoying uh, Christmas meals and other things, but please uh, please drop us a note, any, uh, any feedback on the podcast or in particular questions uh, you'd like us to, to cover. Um, so the questions we got, I guess, were twofold. Cheryl, so I'll just briefly answer that and something we may want to um, continue in future podcasts, but it was really on how to select KPIs and then how to set SPTs or sustainability performance targets connected to, you know, bonds um, or loans. Bonds being quite um, popular at the moment. I guess very, very quickly in terms of KPIs, you know, look at sustainability rating, check that out, see what the material issues are. Look at SASB, uh, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, see what their issues are. Uh, on material issues are. Look at the own companies reporting in terms of what they think is material. Look at best-in-class companies for that particular sector, see what they're reporting on. And then also the relevance, how much of the business or the impact is covered. If it's a tiny, tiny 5% part of the business, probably not relevant. If it's a big chunk or most of the operations, maybe not everything that's not controlled um, or things that are uncontrolled, you know, that's a pretty good uh, start. So in many ways, the selection of KPIs is a bit uh, is a bit easier, but make sure the definition is clear. Make sure you've got some historical data um, where possible, and ideally if they're benchmarkable or you can compare them to other companies, that's that's generally a good, uh, good tick or something to use. And then in terms of sustainability performance targets, again, the, the three main things we look at, some deals will look at all three, some deals will look at just one, 
Ideally, we try and use all of these benchmarks. The first is to historical performance, the second is to peers, and then the third is to some kind of best available technology or Paris um, aligned trajectories that there's various versions in the market of for certain industries. So um, that's a quick, quick snapshot, um, but hopefully useful for our listeners. And if you want to know more about how we look at ambition, how we look at relevant KPIs, please uh, keep the questions coming. And I guess that's a good segue, um, Cheryl, into sustainability linked bonds, building on those sort of themes, you know, KPIs, and then showing uh, showing ambition. What jumped out in terms of SLL transactions over uh, over January? Yeah, thanks, Nick. But before you wrap up on the SLB point, I also want to remind our listeners that we actually released our SLB methodology document. So feel free to check out on our website or else or reach out to us if you would like to understand how we assess sustainability linked bonds. Yes, but sustainability linked loans, um, a lot of interesting SLLs from different sectors come to market this uh, this month. We have Water Utilities name, another seafood SLL on top of the Thai Union one, which we worked on. Um, to note, so maybe just quickly to mention, Publia Aqua <laughs> signs a 140 million SLL. Uh, it's an Italian water utility name, uh, which did an SLL with five banks, and it's the first, believed to be the first water management focused uh, margin link targets. Might be an interesting one to check out for in the utilities space. A uh, Nor- Norwegian construction firm also did a SLL, uh, which is tied for that revolving credit facility around, you know, the climate and zero injury goals. Yeah, and lastly to mention, Chilean Salmon Farmer, they did a 120 million sustainability linked loan and the borrower name is Ventis Queros. This is uh, following on what we worked on in Thai Union, which is another innovative uh, tuna uh, manufacturer's uh, SLL. Uh, what about transition, Nick? Anything noteworthy there? Yeah, just a couple of uh, things. First one was that Poseidon Principles released another report on uh, ongoing disclosures and sort of status reports. So that's for shipping financing. So we'd encourage our listeners to to check out uh, check out those. The mechanism explained in that's being used for for bonds and loans for the shipping sector in terms of you know AERs and different ways to measure uh, intensity or carbon intensity across fleets. So that's a good one. Um, something that I'm really looking uh, forward to again, showing a bit of my nerdiness in this area. Um, Cheryl is the IEA, the International um, Energy Agency, will be releasing some updated comprehensive roadmaps to net zero by 2050. Their work's generally very detailed and very robust, um, and they come out with the SDS, or Sustainable Development Scenarios, upon with which a lot of other models base base their numbers on, the carbon budget, which sectors have how much. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what major piece of work comes out. I think that'll be done in May. And then just the final one, you mentioned before, Cheryl, in the podcast that uh, BOC did go to market with a transition labelled instrument. Um, do check that out. Sean Kidney and a few others did have some um, some forthright comments around that being aligned to the handbook. In terms of how we would look at something like that, I think it's fair to say that you know use of proceeds are first and foremost what's going in. Gas projects for us generally need to be abated, uh, even in the transition. Uh, sphere and then on the issuer level considerations I guess having a good strategy and those items that were outlined for that bond I think concur with the ICMA climate transition uh, handbook so check those out we generally wouldn't sign off something just to that handbook I think it's more supplementary uh, and some of those concepts require a fair bit of thinking and analysis so uh, we encourage our listeners to, to check that out and hopefully we see more labeled transition going forward um, and maybe the, the other ones going forward will, will be a bit more uh, in-depth rather than just relying on the alignment to the, uh, to the handbook in that case. 
Thanks, Nick. All right, folks, that's about all the time we have for this episode. Links to articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sustainalytics and send any questions or feedback our way at podcast at sustainalytics.com. Special thanks to Melissa Chase, who produced this episode and all previous episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time.